0: In this episode of the Boost Health Podcast, you will hear...
1: Wow. Like, no sign of disease. It was like, did they get this right, you know? And when you get that kind of answer, you kind of want to scream it from the rooftops. You want to tell people, like, dude, change what you're eating.
0: So, okay, Lisa, so that's an incredible story. So what you're telling me is you went to Holland, you changed to a plant-based diet, you worked in a good amount of cbd yep and you came home and continued the plant-based diet and you're telling me that they saw no disease in the liver after this treatment
1: i went and researched everything on my own i read papers after paper about you know how these liver conditions can be reversed
0: your skin is a mouth fifty percent or more of what you put on your skin is just going to be absorbed into your bloodstream so You know, if you wouldn't eat it, then you probably shouldn't put it on your skin.
1: Find your balance. Find your balance. Find your balance. Find your
0: balance. Find your balance. Searching for more wellness balance is our goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 38 of the show. I'm Paul Sandberg, the founder of Boost Health and your host. I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist with the NSCA. I have a bachelor's degree in human biology, a master's degree in business, and I've been working in the wellness and fitness industry for over 19 years. On the Boost Health Podcast, we cover the entire spectrum of wellness concepts, and we give you some actionable tips that you can implement in your personal health strategy. My philosophy with this podcast and with Boost Health in general is to be open-minded. Try new things. Preconceived notions shouldn't get in the way of wellness strategies that could be a real difference maker for us. Have you ever tried a new wellness tactic that surprised you and how well it worked? Those are what we are trying to uncover here. Thank you all for spreading the word about the show. If you think someone might enjoy it, and please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast app and or on the Boost Health Facebook page. Q&A. If you want to ask a question to be answered on the show, just click on the green Ask Paul button. It's found on the podcast page on myboosthealth.com. So here's the listener question for this episode. Hey, Paul, I see you mentioned meditation recently on your social media posts. Do you feel any different when you do it? I've heard a lot of wellness professionals struggle with making time for meditation, myself included. It really does take a lot of willpower and focus to just stop everything and quiet your mind. I recently had a bit of a breakthrough with this personally. I was walking home after dropping my kids off at school, doing my usual ritual of dictating my gratitude journal and strategy for the day um, into Evernote, and I, for some reason, paused at the beach that I usually walk by every day. I had been to this beach many times as it's only about a five-minute walk from her house, but I never just stopped by. It is always a specific reason to go, like going for an open water swim or a family outing or something on this day for some reason i thought about stopping here and maybe going for a quick walk in the sand and doing some mobility work and and maybe even meditation but then i thought about my strategy for the day i had lots to get done probably should just get home and get started i thought i'll meditate later in the day well like that was going to happen but for some reason this time i said no No, I'm going to stop at this beautiful beach. I'm going to take my shoes and socks off. I'm going to put my feet in the sand. I'm going to get some earthing done and do a bit of mobility and meditation. And so I did. I'm not sure why on this particular day I did versus all the others. So I went to the beach. I did some nice squat holds. I did some yoga. I walked around in the sand a little bit. Then I stopped and meditated. It seems like the real trick with meditation is to let thoughts pass you by without letting them impact you. I heard it once described as seeing traffic go by with different emotions like anger excitement sadness etc represented as vehicles driving by but not getting in any of those cars just let them pass by it's okay to see that they are there because it's difficult to not have thoughts creep in but the key is to let them pass you by as i was meditating i was listening to the ocean waves crashing and thoughts were coming in my head about all the things I wanted to get done that day or how a person upset me or what I wanted to eat later. And I was trying to think of these thoughts coming in with the waves, but also going out with the waves, washing in and washing out. So the question is, do I feel any different when I do it? Yes, I feel at peace and relaxed when I do it. But maybe more importantly, when I have a few days of meditation in a row, I find myself being able to use that tool when I'm not meditating. The tool of being able to let some of that emotion that would normally control me be more likely to wash over me or let that car pass down the road and not jump on for the ride. I can see how people who are good at this, who practice this consistently, probably can manage their stress much more successfully. It seems like time very well spent. If you have a question you want to hear answered on the show, just click the green Ask Paul button. It's on the podcast page on MyBoostHealth.com. Announcements. Just in case you have not heard, Boost Health TV has officially launched. We actually now have several episodes of the Boost Health podcast that are available on the Boost Health TV YouTube channel in video form. I will link to this in the show notes and blog if you want to check it out. I thought it'd be neat when I have a guest live in the room with me to do a video of the show in case folks want to watch us and give us the opportunity if there's a demonstration for a topic such as this is how you do a squat to to show everybody how to do it with video. So please check it out. Let me know your thoughts. Subscribe to the channel and like the videos if you like it. Newsletter, if you haven't signed up for the Weekly Boost newsletter already, you can do so really easily, just enter your name and email into the form on the homepage of myboosthealth.com. This way you don't miss any Boost Health news. All right, now on with the program. In this episode of the Boost Health podcast, I am joined by Lisa Tarauchi, founder of a fabulous plant-based restaurant in Hong Kong called Confusion. The restaurant, the food, and the way she manages it are all fantastic, but the path that led her to opening it is perhaps the most inspirational and surprising. In this first part of the series with Lisa, we discuss how she ignores her doctor's advice and attacked liver disease with plants. Each of our stories of how we removed animal products from our diet and how we felt, gut health, inflammation, and how your skin is a mouth. Okay, here is part one with Lisa Tarrauchi. I have a special guest on the show with me today. Her name is Lisa Tarrauchi. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Now, Lisa is a middle child. She's half Japanese and half Indian. And She was born in Japan, but then went to military boarding school in South India. And later, she moved to Hong Kong when she was 13, when her father took an expat shore job. Her dad is in the merchant navy, so shore job meant more of inspecting ships versus sailing them, which is what he did for all the years until he took the role in Hong Kong. Now, Lisa has three sons, and she's worked lots of different types of jobs that are totally unrelated education to finance, customer service to jewelry design. And her one passion has always been food, feeding people, nutrition, and in general, nurturing others. Lisa went vegan nearly three years ago thanks to a diagnosis of cysts and lesions in her liver. She's thankfully now completely free of disease thanks to a plant-based diet. She also gives some credit to CBD, which we'll discuss more later. She studied to learn about plant-based nutrition with Cornell EDU, a certificate course by Cornell and Dr. T. Colin Campbell. She loves learning. And if something sparks an interest, she goes deep into it. She's even a certified Pilates instructor just purely due to curiosity. Earlier this year, in May of 2018, she opened an absolutely fantastic plant-based restaurant here in Hong Kong called Confusion, which I had the pleasure of trying. It's wonderful. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show today. Can you start us with your learning of your health diagnosis and your switch to a plant-based diet?
1: Well, um, how I got to even find out about my liver was just by chance. Uh, And every bit of research I've done up until this point has shown me that most people that find out about their liver, it's really by chance. It's like stumbled across. Um, That's why a lot of the time when people die and it it was liver cancer, it's too late by the time they find out, you know, because it moves, it could move so silently. And the liver is the one place that's connected to all of your organs. And from there, the cancer just spreads. So generally, when somebody says liver cancer, you're already going, oh, okay, there goes, you know, all these other organs as well. So for me, it was like I'm, I was turning 40. I, was th- I think I was 39 or something. And I was like, ah, I was already thinking like I'm 40. So I was like, I need to go get a full body checkup. So I went to Thailand, um, to Bangkok, uh, to Bumrungrad Grad Hospital. You know, most people are going there for plastic surgery. I just went there because <laughs> it had a cheap body checkup. So... Um, I did the body checkup. And that's when, you know, in my mind, I'm like, Oh, my God, oh, my God, they're gonna tell me I got cancer, it's breast cancer, I'm sure of it. You know, I did the mammogram and everything. First time doing that, horrendously painful. Um, And they said, Oh, we see something on your mammogram, you know, maybe we need to, but it wasn't like we need to do a follow up or whatever. It was like straight away. They're like, Okay, let's do another one to make sure. And that was what what was so epic about that whole experience is that it was just so real time. Everything was done immediately. You had your answer straight away. Wow,
0: that
1: doesn't usually happen. No, exactly. Something. Oh, we see something. Okay, let's let's wait and let's book you in another appointment. This all happened within the course of the same set of hours that I was wow. there. Um, and then they were like, "Oh, no, no problem. Nothing to worry about. Just minor calcification. Whatever. It's normal." But then they said, oh, there's some shadows on your liver. And that was totally unexpected because I I was like, what? And that they couldn't just like, okay, let's go and (laughs) check that out some more. They said, okay, look what we would suggest when you get back to Hong Kong. Just set up an appointment with a hepatologist or what, hepatobiliary specialist, you know. So I did that because I was really nervous. And then when I came back, I did, I think, a CT scan. Because initially they found it with a uh, ultrasound. Uh, and so then I did a CT scan and that came up again, confirming that there was shadows and, um, they said, you know, possible, um, lesions, cysts, and stuff like that. So then I went on to get uh, an MRI, um, and a contrast MRI after that. So, um, by this point, of course I was freaking out. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> I mean, I was just, but you know, the doctor was like, ah, oh, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, it's pretty common. And I was like, okay, how common? Oh, you know, in about 10% of people. So I thought that that doesn't sound that common. But then he was like, oh, but I've got one too. And mine's like four centimeters or whatever, you know, to, to allay my fears and um, prevent escalation of my anxiety. So when I asked him for advice, what do I do, what do I do, you know, should I like avoid alcohol, should I avoid eating certain things, and uh, he really sort of like, he just said, oh, you know, if you had a mole on your face, do you think that that would go away if you changed what you ate um, or what you drank, and I, I thought, well, no, probably not, and then he says, yeah, just just come back in six months, we'll do another, you know, MRI, so at that point, I thought, okay, that's that's weird, but if the doctor says it's no big deal, that it's probably benign and whatever. I, I didn't ask too many questions at the time because he was a specialist. Um Six months later, you know, I'd already, I'd cut down any drinking or whatever and I like avoided seafood and I tried to avoid certain things that I was like, okay, they might be heavy metals in this and I, just, just to ease off, but I didn't stop. I didn't make a drastic change in anything I was doing. Uh, Six months later, the lesions were bigger, and then there were more cysts. So then I said to the doctor, okay, you said not to worry about it then, to wait and see, and now we've waited and seen, and, and it's worse. So what do I do now? And he said again, oh, don't worry about it. Just come back in six months. And that's when I thought, okay, why um, and when I asked around and I asked another friend who was a doctor, well, a psychiatrist, but obviously she's done medical school, and she said, oh, they're just waiting until it's something they can do something about. And when I asked the doctor again, I said, okay, look, what's what's to come then? Well, what happens if six months from now it's a lot worse? Well, what would we do? What are the steps we would take to sort of rectify this? And he talked about, oh, well, we might have to resection your liver, but it's the bigger lobe. It was the right lobe of my liver. And initially it was just in segment four and segment six or something like that. But now it was already moving into the other segments of the liver. They they number it. and uh, And I was just not willing to accept that. I just thought, that sounds like <laughs> BS, you know. I mean, um, it's gonna mean uh, drastic. And he said that these were his words. He was like, "Oh, it would definitely have an impact on your quality of life." So when I asked, like, "Why can't we just do a biopsy? Why can't we stick a needle in there and try to, you know, take some of this fluid out and see what's in there, whether it's it's cancer or not?" And he was again like, very um, uh, you know, "Oh, this, there's so many. They're so small." Uh, You know, it would be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. It's hard to access it. We'd have to access it through the back of your rib cage, And so basically like saying, nah, we can't do that. And when I researched it, it was like, well, if it is cancer and they stick a needle in it and it just pops, then it's out there in your liver and it'll spread all over your body. These are the things they don't tell you, you know? Because why? Because there's no point in telling you these things. Like, what's the point? Right. It's there. You, at that point, they can't do anything about it. So they manage your expectations. They manage your, you know, that's what they manage. Because they can't give you any medication for it. So that's when I started researching. And then a friend of mine put me onto to this um, Facebook group called Cannabis Oil Success Stories. C-O-S-S, I think. Um, at the time, it had like 100,000 people who were members. Wow. It's probably more now. Um, and what I was seeing was a lot of stories of people using cannabis oil to cure cancer. And I thought, okay, well, I haven't got cancer, you know, not just yet. What it could progress to is that. But um, I was skeptical. So I was like, okay, well, this is illegal. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. So what? what can I actually do that would still be illegal that would still cure my liver and what i came across was the cbd so i looked into cbd it wasn't necessarily uh available here in hong kong um, but it was available in holland but cannabis is also available in holland but not cannabis oil which is what they call rick simpson oil um but there's there's, there's politics behind that too: rick simpson versus just full extract cannabis oil Um, So I went to Holland for three months. Uh, My husband stayed here, watched the kids. Uh, I mean, he had to work, but luckily we have help here. So I went there for three months and essentially by myself, learned how to uh, make full extract oil. And I was getting uh, access to CBD in paste form, the very strong stuff. And that's what I did for three months is essentially changed my diet to a fully vegan diet. Lots of raw, lots of greens, a rainbow of colors, and um, it was definitely lonely, and there were times that I felt like I was going out of my mind, like, literally, because, you know, when you make the full extract oil, you don't really know how much of it will whack you out, you know? You have to start with very, like, literally a rice grain size, and then you go up and up and up. And to cure cancer, I think they say, you got to take something like 60 grams over the course of 90 days, which is a lot. Um, I don't think I made it up to that number. I think I made it up to about 35 grams or something over the course of three months because there were times that I would literally feel like I was poisoned, you know. I'd be sitting there just puking away. It was that bad. So people that say, you know, ah, uh, cannabis and recreational use, it's not the same thing at all. You know, you're really, when you're using it as medication, it's not fun. I mean, it's, you're, you're using it for a purpose. There's like a, a means to an end or whatever. Um, when I came back from those three months, I didn't know. I didn't know what my insides were like. I didn't know what I felt like. You know, I'd essentially had three months of taking care of myself. And I had still had three more months before I could do the MRI because it's every six months. So I came, I came back, I had CBD capsules and things like that. I took that. um, And then at the the six month mark, when we did the MRI, I was, you know, every time I would, the anxiety would build up. I would start to cry. I'd be like, oh, what if it's going to be worse? And, you know, you're already planning for a life where you're not there anymore. Like how are the kids going to fare, you know? And all I hope for is just, just give me no change it's fine. I'd accept no change. And what we saw was a drastic reduction in the size of the lesions. Wow. So they'd gone from being like, you know, one and a half or two and a half centimeters to being like half. And the number of cysts, you know, it's not easy for them to count, right? But, you know, even I looking at the scans, I'm like, I can't really tell the difference. But there was no new cysts. Wow. So for me, I was like, well, that's that's already a good thing. So I just continued on the path that I was on, which was... Um, staying plant-based, I took the, while I was in Holland, I studied for that course, you know, the certificate course, because I was like, well, I can't, I can't eat salads. I can't eat salads every day. It's going to drive me nuts. You know, I was never a big fan of juice either. Smoothies, it's a texture thing. You know, I can't just, I watch people eating smoothie bowls and I'm like, ugh. (laughs) like like what i'll I'll eat the stuff on the top i'm not gonna eat the stuff underneath that's just baby food i don't i don't see the point in that there's no joy i mean food has to be for me like there's an experience of like whole just joy um it shouldn't be just like again a means to an end right like i'm fueling myself um so i took that course so that i could learn how to have a proper balanced diet you know And that's when I realized, well, this whole concept of balanced diet, like, oh, are you getting your protein? It's a myth. Um, And that made me, that just made me so relieved, you know, because I I, I struggle sometimes with excessive bean consumption. I'm like, just toot, 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 you know, (laughs) like, I don't really enjoy that bit. Um, Even like excessive fiber consumption before, it would really wreck my gut, you know, but after I realized, oh, okay, it doesn't really matter how we go about this, as long as 20% of my diet is protein, and I can get that 20% from broccoli or even brown rice, you know, I mean, everything's got protein in it. So um, I stopped worrying about that as much. I just ended up making sure that I ate almost like a rainbow worth of veggies. Um, I didn't even sit there Twisting myself up about like excessive greens, you know, like gotta be green and leafy and growing above the ground. I, I didn't care too much about that. But six months later, you know, again, with that whole upheaval of like emotional, oh, what if it's worse? What if it's da da I went in and we came back and it was just like no sign of disease. That's what it said. And we lit, it was Christmas time. It was around that time. It was like November or December. And we just looked at it and we just looked at each other, my husband and myself, and we're like, wow, like no sign of disease. It was like, did they get this right, you know? And when you get that kind of answer, you kind of want to scream it from the rooftops. You want to tell people like, dude, change what you're eating, you know, CBD. (laughs) You want to save everybody, but then you still see your mates like chowing down and like prime rib and you know sopping it up with like several bottles of wine and then you're just like it's okay to have the wine from time to time but just slow down or back away from certain things
0: so okay lisa so that's an incredible story so what you're telling me is you went to holland you changed to a plant-based diet you worked in a good amount of cbd yep and you came home and continued the plant-based diet and you're telling me that they saw no disease in the liver after this treatment. Were there any other variables that you can think of, like physical activity? I mean, de-stress was probably something that happened, uh, would you say? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not like I was super stressed before. Okay. Um, mainly because I was kind of a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I had a jewelry business, but it wasn't like I was, you know, out there ducking and weaving and selling hard <laughs> every day. Um So it wasn't like I was under a whole lot of stress. But going there meant that I really had to do very little. I got a gym membership, you know, and I would literally go to the gym every day. If I wasn't at the gym lifting weights, I was running or whatever. And I was eating super healthy. I wasn't consuming any alcohol. Uh, You know, I wasn't consuming sugar and things like that. Um, So to a great extent, that's all I had to do was just stay the course
0: yeah just take care of yourself right
1: yeah you know in my spare time all i did was like go for movies or go for a wander and window shop i mean -hmm. i I didn't even shop um so three months of doing that by the end of it i was really desperate to come back yeah yeah Yeah. so that, that was easy i mean like over here i know i feel like i go through a lot of stress and stress can be bad for your liver but I don't struggle with fatigue as as I did when I had a liver issue, you know. I mean, I, I knew that there was something wrong because I was just always tired. Like, no amount of sleep was enough. And now I find that I can kind of survive just fine on, you know, six to seven hours of sleep. Not because I want to, but because I have to. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, okay, so one thing I want to be clear on, what made you decide to go plant-based? Was it some some... Somebody recommended it or you read something, some, some sort of light bulb went on somewhere where you found that plant-based might be the answer.
1: Um, I'd always known that it was the answer. Okay. I just didn't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. when I lived in, when I lived in Tokyo for two years, I went through this whole thing of, you know, women are always unhappy with the way that they look. Right. So I was just like, oh, I want to be more healthy. I want to be skinnier. And so I went through this, I'd watch all these videos on YouTube and there was this one thing that stood out and it was a raw, essentially she was living a raw vegan diet, you know, juicing and eating fruit, like a ton of fruit, um, <laughs> but then also, yeah, yeah. And eating all these salads and stuff like that. So, and then I came across jo- Joel Fuhrman's, uh book, you know, Eat to Live, I think it was called. Yes. And it made so much sense to me. You know, I'm like, of course, you're eating things that are still alive. I mean, vegetables, fruit and all of that. I mean, you're not eating it overcooked. Uh, You know, you're cutting out uh, white rice and pasta and all, all the processed food. And I did that. And literally in the course of two months, I dropped 10 kilos. Wow. And, you know, at the time, I didn't appreciate it fully for what it was because I felt like I ended up looking older. Because, you know, I lost that much weight that that my skin kind of like my cheekbones were sticking out. Yeah. And, and that can look attractive on somebody that's taller and, and probably better built. But for me, I just ended up looking like, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I look really, really thin. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that I was eating unhealthy either. It's just obviously that's what kind of excess weight and water I was carrying around with me. Um, I had loads of energy. I would just... I would literally gorge on fruit mm-hmm. and I don't get to do that anymore, you know, mainly because I sit there worrying about the sheer amount of sugar that I'm, I'm consuming, but also because I'm not living that life. I'm not doing the raw vegan uh, eating plan, you know, right. so eating excess fruit along with my cooked food and possible some processed goods would be like just... A, a bad idea. Yeah, it'd be a bomb. <laughs> yeah, it would be a bad idea for me now. But I remember feeling full of energy. I remember like seeing that my eyes were shining. Hmm. Um, I just don't know whether I'd be able to go back to that kind of way of eating here in Hong Kong because I have so little faith in uh, fruits. Here. oh gosh they're yeah. so bad
0: it's it's tough i mean they're
1: bad and then they're expensive so there's yes. like no in between um if you get the expensive stuff and you're like rubbing your hands together and you're like yep i just spent 80 dollars on this mango it's going to be epic and then it smells ripe it feels ripe it looks ripe you cut it open and it's just rock hard on the inside and you can't just close it back to like let it sit it out
0: yes it's I think that's something that I miss from the U S is not having, first of all, just a search like looking for something that's from the U S or from the Netherlands or from Australia um, or New Zealand, um, because you really don't want to eat the local produce here, unfortunately with the pollution. And um, it's a search first of all. And then it's, yeah, you might have found what you think is to be a really nice apple. Um, that's from, you know, one of the countries I spoke of, and then it's mealy on the inside or something like yeah. that. And it's just, it's because it, it, from the transportation process, sometimes they're, sometimes they're really, really good, but sometimes you end up with something that is pretty disappointing.
1: Yes. It's, it's true. Well, it's, it's not trippy. even going to avocados. I just gave up <laughs> oh, on avocados. I saw
0: a funny, I think it was a meme on avocados. It was like, not ready, not ready, not ready. Mm-hmm. Oh, spoiled. <laughs> 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 a, that's been the hedge. good
1: thing about owning a restaurant actually now we get access to really epic avocados oh, but nice. then by this point i'm really not an, a huge avocado fan <laughs> anymore i'm like yeah whatever that's for people to eat <laughs> yeah i don't have to eat it so i yeah
0: i, I kind of went maybe i just went too far on it i would put him on everything because it was you know trying to get healthy fat when i first started yeah. plant based and found I could get it from a lot of other places too, like all of us. But I think I wore myself on out on them a little bit. And now it's nice to have a little bit of a slice here and there, but not, not with every single meal like I was before. <laughs> yeah. So so different people, when they go through their journey moving off of animal products to plant products, have different sort of body reactions. I've mentioned on my show a few times I think it was the dairy mostly. I, I'm like you, I want you to tell your story, but we both sort of went cold turkey, if you yeah. will. It's a funny term for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had, uh, so no, basically tomorrow, market on the calendar, no more animal products, let's see what happens. And um, I had really, really bad headaches for like two days, and then I started feeling great. Um, and I think it was probably like addiction to dairy because I was having dairy everything. Yeah. Uh, milk, cottage cheese, yogurt. Well, the
1: protein, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so how about you? Was it difficult well, for you when you I, I would say the
1: first time that I did that, when I went, you know, fully raw vegan. When you are in Japan. right? Um, that, I do remember, I went through a two-week period of just having horrendous gas. Mm. But it was so bad that, like, even I couldn't be in the room by myself, you know? I was like, oh, my God, this is so bad. It's like peeling the paint off the walls. And I was just fearful. I'm like, how am I going to survive this? Like, how am I going to stick to this diet without just being an embarrassment to myself? But after two weeks, it passed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have pardon uh, the pun. Nice, nice. I like that. <laughs> anyway, after two weeks, it passed. And then I was like, oh, And every bit of research I read showed like, okay, all that excess fiber, you get all this bacteria in your gut, it's kind of scraping the insides of your walls of your gut. And then once that is all out, then, you know, you're, you're not going to have the same reaction where, where it's just creating so much methane that it's just bad, just horrendous. Like now, if I eat like a ton of beans, I'll probably still let a couple go but they're not going to like kill anybody (laughs) beside me, you know? Right, right. So so for me, I think like beans do it. I think lentils, I don't have the same problem. Chickpeas, possibly depending on how they are cooked, you know, whether they've been washed properly. Anything using chickpea flour, oh yeah, Hmm. that's going to happen because that's like raw flour, you know, raw chickpeas that have been ground down to flour. So that stuff can also make you kind of, yeah.
0: Do you find it helps? I found it helps me when I get a dry bean and I soak it overnight and sort of lets the the bubbles out any different for you at That's all? That's
1: supposed to be like part of the process of cooking beans and like what's going to remove a lot of the, you know, anti anti-nutrients, I guess. Um but yeah, I guess it's relative, right? I mean Sure. Sometimes it it's it's just in your mind sometimes. You're like, "Oh, Yep, this happened because of the beans. Yes, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, just blame it on that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with anything else I ate. It's gotta be the beans. Um, but I don't find any difference, you know. I mean, I know there's all these things that you can use like like um asafoetide or whatever, like hing, uh, to cook with it. That'll also decrease the chance of flatulence with it. What is that? I'm sorry. It's an Indian herb. I don't know whether it's a herb or a uh a spice, I'm not sure. But it's called H I N G Hing and Asophotide, A E S O F. Yeah, it's a very odd. Word we could Google it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll put these in the show notes. But Indians would put that into it's got a it's got a certain aroma to it as well, and it does kind of smell like farts. But (laughs) anyway, you can put it into a dal or you can put it into a a curry that has beans or whatever, and it kind of like decreases the way your your gut reacts to it.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. I want to talk about your sort of your home unit. Yep. Um, because getting support through the process of switching your nutrition plan is really helpful. I, my wife still looks on the menu to make sure there's something for me to eat before she even worries, And the kids before she worries about herself, a lot of women are like that, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, tremendous support for me. I've been five plus years now. And so I wouldn't have been able to do it without her help, even though she wasn't, she doesn't eat very much meat and dairy anymore either, but I wasn't pushing that on her yeah. or my kids. It was really just about me and it was yeah. about performance. Yeah. But I know you've said, when you when you transitioned to plant-based, you had talked about doing it with your husband, so your husband has done this as well, and also your domestic helper.
1: Yeah, well, I switched to plant-based, um, and then a month later, because I'd started the course, I think, while I was here and then I moved to Holland like the the plant-based nutrition course and what I was doing was essentially going through the first few classes while I was here and then when I moved to Holland I continued the rest of it but I I remember seeing uh, they were like video lectures um, and I couldn't necessarily download them and save them so I could share it with other people because obviously, you know, you have to pay money for the course. Right. Um, but I would just, I'd be able to watch it on my own over and over. So I'd, every now and then I'd drag my husband or my helper and I'd be like, look at this, you know, listen to what he's saying. And all of it was about diseases of affluence, you know, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and how what we eat really impacts how our bodies work, you know, like animal fat and like this, um, the way that it it reacts with your, the vessels in your, in, you know, all your arteries, your veins and all of that. Um, And how your body, it's been shown that two hours after consuming it, that's when you finally like your body recovers from having eaten that meat. It's it's very,
0: it takes a lot of energy to break down meat. That's a, that's a scientific fact.
1: Yeah. But then what happens is obviously like a lot of people doing these various fad diets related to like how you're supposed to gain weight to like build muscle. They're eating six times a day. So they've got so much inflammation. Yes. Because they're not giving this like every three hours you're eating. If it takes you two hours to recover from eating like that giant chunk of chicken that you just ate then you know you're just about recovering and your heart's just about recovering and then then boom you're sticking another like possible like oh grass fed beef burger patty into your system so you know people don't realize the level of inflammation that they're walking around with on a day-to-day basis and then they're surprised when say somebody that was like healthy all his life healthy running and you know lifting and doing stuff and suddenly at 40 drops dead after a jog right you know, and they're like, but he was like, so healthy. And instead of looking at like, well, what was he eating? They're like, well, if he was running and he dropped dead, then I'm going to just avoid running. Right. You know, they just actually do less exercise because they're like, what's the point? That super healthy dude Which just is, dropped dead. But yeah. that's not the message. You know, I mean, they got to dig deeper for the, the source of what it was that caused him to drop dead. What was he eating?
0: Yeah, there's um, there's a term in the fitness industry, skinny fat, yes. which is, you know, somebody that can look really, really fit on the outside, but is not, and it tends to happen with endurance athletes that where they're really not nourishing themselves properly. And there could be all, to your point, there can be all kinds of things happening internally. Yeah. Um, that you really have no idea about. You feel great. Yep. Look, look pretty darn good. Um, but there's there's a lot of scary stuff that could be happening.
1: I mean, you know, when you're so used to having inflammation, you don't realize you've got it.
0: That's true, too. And
1: what I noticed, and this was the big thing I noticed with going plant-based, is that the inflammation stopped almost overnight. Mm-hmm. And that feeling that you have where you're like, oh, my God, I feel really great. I feel light. I feel this. I'm sleeping better. Doing all of these things better. You don't realize, wow, that's what it was A daily dose of inflammation. And people think of inflammation as in like, oh, my knee. No, inflammation just completely internally. People don't realize what they give up. And then once you become vegan and you're used to it, you don't realize what you've given up, you know, because you're just like you feel this way all the time. It's not until you like mistakenly eat something or you by choice decide to cheat and eat something that you realize that, wow, I feel terrible my, you
0: know, the genesis of my journey was I had the worst gut health. Yeah. Um, I felt, especially when I would exercise, running especially, I felt, I always say I felt like I had a basketball on my stomach. I had, I had so much inflammation, so much bloating and gas. Yeah. Probably from the dairy. Yeah. Um, meat didn't help out either. Um, and I remember I just did a huge switch. And uh, like I said, a few days later, I started feeling a lot better after I switched to, to plant based. And, um, and now if I have any gut disruption, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Because it is a rare situation. And to your point, you just sort of get used to like, I had Pete Fisher on a couple weeks ago, um, from nutrition kitchen and he made a good point. He's like, you know, we're worried about getting probiotics in, um, that may or may not be helpful depending on what your situation is. But one of the best things you can do to help improve your gut is eat lots of vegetables. And let those proliferate. And that, you know, that sort of speaks to your story about things were sort of churning at the beginning, but yeah. you kept on moving through those first couple of yeah. weeks and then all of a sudden your gut health improves because your your microbiome starts to level out and Correct. everything starts. I mean, if your gut health is not lined up, it's not just about having little stomach pains here and there. It affects everything.
1: It does. That's
0: why they're calling it the second brain. There is a lot of activity yeah. that's happening down there. There's a lot of neurons in your gut. There's more neurons in your gut than are in your spine. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that if, if things are unwell down there, your whole body is going yeah. gonna to feel bad. You do. Well, that so that's really great. So I interrupted your story. So you you were able to... Convince your your husband and your helper to to try this this. Yeah, lesson, well,
1: right? I mean, I would show them these videos, and then at some point, I we sat down and we watched uh, Forks Over Knives, mm. and, and that th- yeah. I think that's that's one of the videos I would actually tell everybody to watch if they're interested in going plant based. Why? Because it's not the scare tactics. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like pizza level, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That might work for some people. But for most people, they don't want to see suffering. They don't want to see like, you know, horrendous amounts of like like animals being killed and stuff in order to make a change. Most of the time, they're just going to push it out of their minds the, the same way that they don't want to see that that steak on their plate actually came from an animal's butt or somewhere else. You know, they don't want to know about that. But if you can show them the science and if you can show them the science of how it really directly affects them as an individual on a very personal level, physically, they're more likely to listen, you know. Um, And I really, really wanted for my friends to watch Forks Over Knives and I don't think we actually ever got around to it mainly because it was like, oh, let's all hang out and let's watch that. And then they're like, uh, you know, why would we want to come over to your house to watch this <laughs> documentary that might make us vegan? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> look what it did to you. Right. <laughs> so um, it's great because it actually touches upon like very basic things. I mean, it goes all the way to the Esselstyn diet, which is like, like pretty, pretty drastic. I mean, yes. I don't think I'd be able to do with no oil you know i mean i can i can kind of like whole foods right? yeah all whole foods but even with that there was like a little old chinese dude on there and he was like yeah well now the flag is not at half mast anymore or something <laughs> i mean people need to talk about that bit you know you got if you got erectile dysfunction and stuff like that a vegan diet will change that completely turn it around um These are the bits, like, there's medication for everything, you know, and all of these medicines. I'm really, really anti-allopathy now. Ever since hearing that doctor tell me, don't worry about it, I just don't trust doctors. Because obviously, I went ahead, I sat there, Google MD, I went and researched everything on my own. I read papers after paper about, you know, how these liver conditions can be reversed. And there was like literally evidence of two people that had reversed this condition. And so I thought, well, two is better than none. You know, I right. mean, obviously these two did it. And it was both, they were both women and they both had like doses of hormones. You know, one was like a, a an elderly lady who had had hormone replacement therapy. The other was a woman that had been taking birth control for a lengthy period of time. Now, for me, you know, people straight away, they're like, oh, your liver, oh, you must have been drinking. Right, of course. And it's like, well, if that's the case, then pretty much everyone that, that's <laughs> out there boozing away hard on a weekend, they should be walking around with a liver like that. Right. But hormones, you know, I mean, during both of my pregnancies, back to back, I mean, I had 19 months between them. I had been given progesterone throughout these pregnancies because I had, a, uh, you know, c- there was a concern for me birthing early. Um, and I'd already had one premature child born at 35 weeks. So we were desperately trying to keep these babies in. Sure. So I spent 10 weeks on bed rest for one child and then 14 weeks for the other. Oh, my goodness. All on progesterone, daily progesterone to prevent, you know, contractions, to prevent, uh, you know, I already had a thinning cervix. So I don't doubt that that excessive hormone use is what caused that because... It's not like I, you know, I mean, I have a brother, a sister, I have all these people in my life that, that consume a ton of alcohol, but their livers, every time they go to get checked up, <laughs> they're like, fine, right. alcohol must just have this like, like little cliff that you get to, and then you just drop right <laughs> off boom. the edge, you know, <laughs> boom, cirrhosis. Yeah. But that's not what was happening to me. So, um, you know, now I still consume a little bit of alcohol from time to time. And I I'm confident in the fact that like, no, I don't think this is what did it. I don't sit there boozing away and I don't like consume alcohol daily or anything, but I I don't sit there too concerned about it. Um, That said, I definitely drink way less than I ever did in my younger years, Mm -hmm. uh, mainly because everything's toxic to the liver. But people don't realize it's the toxic, the cumulative load of all the toxins you expose yourself to. From from the the can with the soda in it to the the plastic bottle with the you know your Gatorade to um, the shampoo that you use to oh, the cream yeah. that you use the deodorant that you use I haven't used deodorant in fifteen years.
0: Well, and we always say you know your your skin is a mouth. Fifty percent or more of what you put on your skin is just going to be absorbed into your bloodstream. So, you know, if you wouldn't eat it, then you probably shouldn't put it on your skin. So yeah, look at a shampoo bottle, look at a uh, lotion and look at the, you know, chemical experiment that's on the back of some of those bottles. Yep. Uh, I'm the same. I'll either use coconut oil for deodorant or there's some, um, there's some good like natural ones that are free of parabens and stuff now. So there, yeah. there's some good choices out there, but yeah, I mean, when my dad passed away from, from cancer, my wife calls me caveman because I, I'm really careful about all of those things. It, Maybe it didn't have anything to do with chemicals that he was putting on his body. He worked in the Air Force, maybe he worked around something for a long well, period of time. Well even jet fuel. Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, like just being outside doing the rounds, checking the aircraft while it's running, you know, those fumes, you're you're inhaling them. That's true. I that's mean, true. my husband has to also deal with that that toxic load because that's what he does is he does the ground check, you know, he he flies. Um, so and he has to also contend with the fact that that you know, radiation coming through the windscreen. And, you know, I mean, there's a a lot of things like we we sit there and we talk about it, but we try not to dwell on it because we're like, okay, well, this is part of your job. I mean, everybody that flies can get exposed to all of these things. But um, you do have a lot of this kind of thing happening within the airline industry. And I don't know whether it's like just stress as well. You know, they're very poorly slept and stuff like that. So... Um, you, yeah, people get cancer, you know, and it's not necessarily what they're eating like the airline food, Can't right? Either, <laughs> but yeah, he, he'll go like intermittent fast or he'll carry like, uh, you know, Vega bars with him rather than eat the food there. Maybe he'll eat like the fruit or whatever, but there isn't much vegan stuff anyway to eat on a plane.
0: Well, he's, he's doing what you can do, which is yeah. control the things that you can control. Yeah. So, you know, if there's two or three <laughs> things that he has to deal with that. Might be carcinogenic, but he has control over his diet yeah. and exercise and those types of things. Then you know he's 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 doing what he can. Yeah. That's that's all you can ask. Yeah. And then so okay, really quick, I want to touch on this too because I think it's a neat story. So your domestic helper also switched <laughs> to um, a plant-based diet, yeah. and she was a type two diabetic. Correct.
1: Correct. I mean, my husband switched to a plant-based diet because um, first of all, he he watched the video with me, the Forks Over Knives. And even though he was kind of like, oh, but I'm trying to gain weight. How am I going to gain weight doing this plant-based thing? You know, because he was trying to build. hes
0: trying to get muscle. Yeah.
1: Right? So um, he's just not built for like gaining a ton of weight. He can gain the muscle, but it's, he's still going to weight what he's weighing right now, which is 76 kilos for a six foot two guy. You know, that's his build. Uh, but my helper, after she saw like, my husband said, oh, okay, I'll change it. She said, ma'am, I'll, I'll change too. So we thought, okay, this makes it easier because I guess they saw me making separate meals for them because back then my helper didn't cook. Okay. So it was always me. And and probably because that's what I wanted to do and that's how I had control over what everybody eats. Um, but I'd be making myself something se- separate and then I'd have to make something for them. And my kids are super fussy, so I'd have to make something totally <laughs> different for them.
0: That sounds really, really... Uh- yeah just like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So, so at some point they were like, "Okay, look, you know what? Let's just try this." And we never looked back because and How old were your kids at the time? Um, gosh, 3 and five, something okay. like that. So yeah. that,
0: that's tricky with, with yeah. kiddos. and
1: Yeah, I mean, I've tried to reason with my sons, you know, like the youngest one, he's like super eager to please. So he's like, I'll drink soy milk. That's okay. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, He'll even pretend to like it. He'll be like, hmm, yeah, do you want some more? He's like, no. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But uh, the middle one, oh my God, he's like, I need milk from baby cows, you know? (laughs) Like, we'll just, don't worry mom, we won't hurt them, we'll just milk them really gently. (laughs) And I'm like, that's not how it goes. But he's just insistent and I think he's just rebellious. That's what it is. He's like, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Um, and he's got eczema, I mean, like bad eczema, you know? And we've found that when we cut him off from milk and cut him off from yogurt, he stops scratching, you know? Yeah. And he's unconsciously scratching, you know, in the night when he's asleep, he's just scratching away in oh, inside of his elbows and behind his knees and his chest and, you know, his lower back. There's just problem areas, even in his neck. And when we stopped it, he didn't have any of this. So dairy makes it worse. Oh, yeah. Okay
0: okay we will stop there for part one with a cliffhanger now make sure to listen in to part two where lisa and i discuss controlling type 2 diabetes with a plant-based diet creating a positive culture in the workplace why salads are not allowed on her menu career fulfillment living on a boat and why hardcore vegans may be scaring away more people than they're actually drawing in to a plant-based nutrition plan Make sure you check it out. Thank you all so much for listening. Also, thank you very much to my guest, Lisa Terauchi, for joining the show today. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in your podcast app. Please leave a review on the Boost Health Facebook page. You can also subscribe to the Boost Health TV YouTube channel and watch the shows there. Please follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. On any of those, just search for My Boost Health. And you can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything along with more motivation and information. And until next time, this is Paul Sandberg for Lisa Terauchi saying goodbye and find your
1: balance.